How many of you guys remember that we talked a lot about people who cheat during board games? You guys remember that? Anybody? There's like four people that remember. I'm glad it was memorable. And we had like this cool thing up here. We had Monopoly and Clue on the back and all this kind of fun stuff. And so we talked a lot about Monopoly, right? And how some of you don't pay when you land on someone's property if they don't notice, right? Or maybe um, you've created this, this rule where you put money in the middle, which is not a thing. It's not a part of Monopoly. So Monopoly last week showed us, and really the point of last week was really understanding our control issues. Great little family weekend conversation, right? And I would say last week's passage in James, I mean, I knew getting into a James series was going to be rough, but I think last week's passage and this week's passage, which, by the way, we're going to be in James chapter 5. We've made it to chapter 5, guys. Congratulations. And we're going to be going through verses 1 through 6. Um, I'm going to have the guys, if you um, ha- want a Bible, raise your hand real quick. Um, and they will get you a Bible. We've got a couple in the front row that would like some. That would be awesome. Keep them up. And it, they're tough. And here's why those passages are tough. James kind of gets in under our skin a little bit into a spot that I think is um, really, really uncomfortable. So I feel like, uh, man, we just really need to pray. So I'm going to pray, and, um, and then I'm going to tell you a little bit how this message today kind of came to be, all right? So uh, Heavenly Father, we need you, God. There's a lot going on. I mean, we have a lot in our hearts today. We've walked in with a lot of stuff and we probably walked in not necessarily thinking about changing our life, but Holy Spirit, I know that that's what you're all about. God, I pray that um, as we read your word, as we talk about your word, as we try to unwrap it and understand it, God, and how it applies to us, God, that you would open our hearts so that we might change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Really quickly, um, before I keep going on Monopoly, um, you should have had a card on your chair. And that card is important to me because it's our first attempt at trying to understand what's going on in the hearts and minds of you guys. Um, Churches are typically, we like to unchurch at second place, but churches are typically structured and we um, evaluate ourselves on all the things that you can count. Like, how many people are here today? Or how much money was given? Or was the music good? Can't really count that, but it's more of like a, kind of like an operational thing. We count things like, were there enough volunteers to pull the service off? Was the coffee good? Did I need more cream in my coffee? I don't know, but you, you ask these questions. And the one thing that we've been talking about as leadership at Second Place is in a lot of ways, that stuff is okay to count and to look at, but it doesn't tell us what's happening in your heart. So what our attempt is, just a really quick, and we'll do this every so often, is to get a connect with you guys. What I'd love for you to do is to, uh, first off, write your age at the top of the card because it's going to help us understand what's happening in the generations. Our mission is that every generation would find their way back to God every day. And so I'd love for you to write your age at the top of that card. This is an anonymous card. No one's going to follow up with you. We don't want any of your contact information. We're just trying to get a a sense of what's going on in your heart. 
So once you write your age, then you have a couple of um, check boxes. Just check one box. It kind of describes yourself. Um, either you're a first timer or you come occasionally. You've come less than, was it 90 days or more than 90 days? And then lastly is uh, the three questions. They're simply yes or no questions. Um, are you growing in your faith? Uh, are you connecting? Are you serving? And if you were wondering, oh, what do you mean by growing in my faith? Or what do you mean by connecting? You guys figure that out for yourself. What does it mean to you? We're not going to get into a lot of like trying to, to like figure that out right now because I just want to get a quick gut from you guys. Are you growing in your faith? Are you connecting with others? And are you serving others? Cool? All right. That was probably the easiest survey you'll take in your life. And what I'd love for you to do when you're done is to send those to your left, back the other direction of where the clipboards came from. And Donovan and Tom are going to come by and pick those stacks up. That would be awesome. You guys good? So Monopoly. Um, I got finished last week, and Monopoly showed us a lot of our control issues. And I was thinking, and I was reading uh, James 5, 1 through 6, and it's about money. And I knew that. I knew that going ahead. I didn't really do all the math. If you guys think that I planned this sermon series to hit money right before we're going to do our, our Thanksgiving offering in a couple of weeks, um, you think I'm smarter than I am, which I appreciate. I'm flattered, but it's not the truth. Um, but we get to this, this passage, and, and as I read through the passage, and it was kind of framing up my message, I'm like, you know what? I'll bet you that there's a TED Talk about money that's really good. Anybody know what a TED Talk is? All right, cool. Anybody love TED Talks? They're just so great, right? They're short, they're cool. And so literally, I Google TED Talk money on, this is probably Monday, and there's about seven videos that are there. One's like, can money buy happiness? I suggest you watch that one. Very interesting. Um, the answer is yes. You just have to spend it on the right thing. Um, and it's not yourself. Boom! All right, so there you go. Spoiler. So then um, there was another one. I forget the other, the other ones, that, what they were kind of sent around. But there was one video that said this. It said, does money make you mean? And I was like, oh, I'm going to check this out. So I literally clicked the video. And we're going to watch three clips from this video. This is the first one. This is literally what I see after preaching last week and using Monopoly as my focus. I want you to, for a moment, think about playing a game of Monopoly. Except in this game, that combination of skill, talent, and luck that help earn you success in games as in life has been rendered irrelevant because this game's been rigged and you've got the upper hand. You've got more money, more opportunities to move around the board, and more access to resources. And as you think about that experience, I want you to ask yourself, how might that experience of being a privileged player in a rigged game change the way that you think about yourself and regard that other player? So we ran a study on the UC Berkeley campus to look at exactly that question. We brought in more than 100 pairs of strangers into the lab, and with the flip of a coin, randomly assigned one of the two to be a rich player in a rigged game. They got two times as much money. When they passed go, they collected twice the salary, and they got to roll both dice instead of one, so they got to move around the board a lot more. 
And over the course of 15 minutes, we watched through hidden cameras what happened. And what I want to do today for the first time is show you a little bit of what we saw. You're going to have to pardon the sound quality in some cases because, again, these were hidden cameras. So we've provided subtitles. How many 500s did you have? Just one. Are you serious? Yeah. I have three. <laughs> I don't know why they gave me so much. Okay, so it was quickly apparent to players that something was up. One person clearly has a lot more money than the other person. And yet, as the game unfolded, we saw very notable differences and dramatic differences begin to emerge between the two players. The rich player started to move around the board louder, literally smacking the board with their piece as he went around. We were more likely to see signs of dominance and nonverbal signs of display, uh, displays of power and celebration among the rich players. This kind of sets us up for today's message. Because what Monopoly in this rigged game is starting to do is it's starting now in this UC Berkeley research is it's starting to actually illustrate James 5, 1 through 6. Um, and this is just the beginning. Um, the whole video is 16 minutes long. We're not going to watch it all. We're going to watch two more clips in a minute. But it gives us an insight into what's going on in our hearts if we're not careful with our perspective on money. James chapter 5, verse 1 says this, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Let's stop right there. The misery is this. When you put all of your focus and all of your trust in something that eventually goes away and slips through your fingers and you can't take with you when you leave this earth, the misery becomes when that's what you do because you've put all of your trust in something that's not going to last. And so James is kind of continuing a theme, kind of a thread, through his letter to the Jerusalem church. He is continuing this thread of the rich are a problem. And it's their perspective on money and wealth that is a problem. Don't forget, James chapter 1 verse 10 said this. It said, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. They're going to lose it all eventually, since they will pass away like a wildflower. And then James 2, verse 6 said, Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? The rich are warned over and over and over again to be careful about their perspective on money. Now, most of you in this room, probably all of you, would be considered to be in the top 1% of the richest people in the world simply because you had food this morning, you probably had a vehicle to get here today unless you walked, um, and so this is, this is something for us to like, not necessarily dismiss, but to understand that we are, we are that rich player. We are that rich player. So the question I'll leave you with here for this section is this. You can, t you can tackle this this week and, and chew on this. It's this. What would it look like for me to live long-sighted rather than short-sighted when it comes to money? Um, let's watch the second clip. Of, uh, of this research that happened. All right, we had a bowl of pretzels positioned off to the side. It's on the bottom right corner there. That, that allowed us to watch participants' consumatory behavior. So we're just tracking how many pretzels participants eat. Are those pretzels a trick? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so no surprises. People are on to us. They wonder what that bowl of pretzels is doing there in the first place. One even asks, like you just saw, is that bowl of pretzels there as a trick, and yet, 
Despite that, the power of the situation seems to inevitably dominate, and those rich players start to eat more pretzels. And as the game went on, one of the really interesting and dramatic patterns that we observed begin to emerge was that the rich players actually started to become ruder toward the other person. Less and less sensitive to the plight of those poor, poor players and more and more demonstrative of their material success. More likely to showcase how well they're doing. We start to see what being rich kind of does. Let's read um, James 5, verse 2 and 3. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So, question. Pause right there. What rots? Food, right? Grain, vegetables. James is living in an agricultural society. He's saying those of you that own fields, you would be considered rich. You're fields, your crops are going to rot. Um, you look at clothes. Clothes is something that he highlights. Now, when clothes are mentioned, you've got to realize that in the ancient world, if you had one pair of clothes, you were average. You were doing okay. If you had two pairs of clothes, you were definitely doing well. You were well-to-do. And you'll see where in some of the Old Testament um, passages where a gift of two pairs of clothes are given, and it's a, it's a sign of blessing. It's a sign of being a big deal. Um, and so we see that silver and gold, um, they, they are something that corrodes. They don't quite rust, but they tarnish. And so James is saying that this corrosion is going to, is testifying against you. That this is what you've hoarded during this time of the last days. Some of us think that the last days that he's talking about is like, you know, that Jesus is coming soon and that this is what we need to do. But you got to think of this. Like, as soon as Jesus rose from the grave, the last days began. Like we have been living in these and we, he's saying in the last days, you've hoarded, the, you've hoarded everything in the last days. What are you doing? Um, the, the, the gold and the silver is testifying against them. Interesting, like it, it reminds me um, I was talking to a student this week, and um, we were talking about how it reminds of, us of um, Abel's blood. This is a literary device, right? It's, is it personification, where the, um, there's, there's this corrosion that's testifying? I mean, it doesn't actually testify. You know, the blood of Abel cried out to God. And we're about to see something else cry out to God as well. Um, but Jesus, James's brother, his older brother, said something very similar in Matthew chapter 6, where he talked about the fact that you should not store up treasures on earth, but to store them up in heaven. Do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
it continues throughout the New Testament. If you look at this, money and your faith are interwoven and connected. And your perspective on money can either distort or correct your view of what it's for. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says this, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is a warning, guys. This is a big deal. And I would love for you to change the way that you read Scripture. Because when you look at Jesus' comment and his command, he says, do not store up treasures on earth store it up in heaven. And when you read that, you can read a command, and it can feel very much like that. But I want you to read it differently. I want you to read it as an invitation. Because what Jesus is doing, what James is doing, and what Paul did in Timothy, is he's, they're saying, I want to invite you into a different way of thinking about what you think is the good life. I want to invite you into my kingdom where everything is upside down and backwards from what the world shows you. I want to invite you, and if we look at it as an invitation, the question that I would have to you is, are you taking the invitation or not? So a question that you can um, wrestle with this week with this section is, how can I live open-handed with my money rather than closed-fisted? Let's look at the last clip that we're going to see from this, uh, from this video. Here's what I think was really, really interesting, is that at the end of the 15 minutes, we asked the players to talk about their experience during the game. And when the rich players talked about why they'd inevitably won in this rigged game of Monopoly, <laughs> they talked about what they'd done to buy those different properties and earn their success in the game. And they became far less attuned to all those different features of the situation, including that flip of a coin that had randomly gotten them into that privileged position in the first place. And that's a really, really incredible insight into how the mind makes sense of advantage. Isn't that interesting? That the game is rigged, and at the end of the game, after their time playing, the the rich player says, it's what I did that caused me to win. This is crazy. This is what this stuff does to us. Let's look at James 5, verses 4 and 5. He says this, Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. There's that, that, that personification again. The cries of the harvesters, Literally, the people have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Like, this is some intense conversation stuff, right? This is intense from James. And I think what it starts to highlight is that it's not just wealth. And we could argue all day, like, is, is money inherently evil? Or is it the use and the perspective on money that is what causes us to either use it for good or for evil? I think that that's a, that's a conversation that's worth having. But I believe that what we see is that the real issue is not necessarily the wealth that we may have. It's the greed that might be in our heart. 
It's the idea of wanting more and wanting more and wanting more primarily, as we saw in chapter 4 at the very end where he's saying that, you know, you're spending it on yourself. You pray so that you will get, but you're going to get it so you can spend it on yourself. And, and here he says that you fatten yourself on the day of slaughter. What good is that? Like, why would you fatten something that's going to be slaughtered that day. It doesn't make any sense. And so this perspective on money and on wealth can corrupt us if we're not careful. And I would say that there's been times in my life when it's corrupted me and put me on a track where I'm off focus. The question that you can um, throw down, oh, by the way, I'm holding back wages, that little phrase there, that is forbidden in the Old Testament. Forbidden in the Old Testament. In... in, um, Proverbs and Amos and in Malachi. But the question that you can tackle with this is um, two of them, actually. One is this. How does God want to change my attitude toward those who are oppressed? Not this idea like, oh, thank God I'm not like them, or not, oh, too bad for them, or not anything like that, but how does God want to change your attitude toward those who are oppressed? And then secondly, a question that we'll wrestle with this one this week is this. What have I been holding back And how will I release it? And I will throw down an extra little question. When will you release it? What have you been holding back? How are you going to release that? And when are you going to release that? Because here's what the research says too. If you don't put a date on something, if you have a goal, anybody have a goal? You're going to set goals for the new year? If you don't put a date on a goal, the chances of you completing that goal go way, way, way down. So let's finish our passage for the day James verse 6, chapter 5. Here it is. It says, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now, let's just time off for a second. Interact with me for a minute. Reread that, you guys, in your script, in, in your Bible. It says this, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Some translations would say the righteous one. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think James is talking about when he talks about the one who is innocent that was not opposing the rich. Anybody? Jesus is is probably what he's referring to. Some scholars would say it's a whole group of people who are innocent. But man, I see this and I say, and there's there's definitely um, evidence of this, that it might be, it might be that James is actually taking the cover off and exposing the rich that he's been talking to throughout the letter. And who were those that killed the innocent one. The Pharisees are the ones who killed him. The one who was not opposing them, but was bringing life, was bringing a new kingdom. Not in the way that they thought, but it was the way that he was bringing it, and they killed him. So he may be saying, it is the religious rich who are the problem. Hello. We need to ask ourselves, man, where is our perspective on our money at? Where is our perspective on our wealth at? Is it been distorted by the world? I mean, like last week, we we talked about this, where you set your plan. It's like, this is going to be my major. This is going to be my my career. This is where I want to live, the type of house, the type of car, and all of those things. And, And James was saying, you know what you need to do is you need to say, if the Lord wills this, then that's what's going to, that's where I'm going to go. And here it's saying again, man, are, are we focused so much on money that we can't get anything else 
into our heart or into our head. Um, I remember, well, let me give you the question for this. How can I replace the destructive force of greed with the constructive force of generosity? These are not easy questions. As you breeze through this this morning, and I'm trying to honor your time for coming out, I'm telling you, man, this is at the core of who we are. I remember, um, I figured out last night during, during the message, um, about 1999, Micah, um, Jeremiah was uh, just recently born. Micah was two. And I remember it was working like a dog. Um, I was part of a, of, a, of a growing business, and I was just an employee, and I was working hard, and I was starting to kind of climb the ladder, and I was starting to get recognition. I was starting to get promotions and raises, and it was going well for me. And then I had a crisis of belief, a crisis of belief. And it came down to this, that God was calling me to, is challenging me to be okay with going into full-time ministry. And it was a big deal. I was like, man, I don't know. And so I prayed, and we had friends that were praying for us, and and we followed through that opportunity to go into full-time ministry to the, to the last final step. And that door closed. And we, then I continued to work, and, and then, you know, the, the, all, everything else happened in life. But here's, let me tell you about that moment and that crisis of belief. As I had been helping, you know, in youth group and kind of being the right-hand man for the youth pastor and trying to do all the things that I knew to do, and I was... I was working in ministry, and I was, but I was just a volunteer. And then I was, I was working hard and trying to climb the ladder. I remember this crisis of belief, and I got in the car one day in the afternoon, and I drove around. Some of you know this story. And I drove around, and I was in Burr Ridge, and I drove past these houses that were huge, that were awesome, and these cars, you know, that were in the driveways and stuff. And I remember yelling at God, and I was like, God, I am, I am so not sure of what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I, but here's what I'm going to tell you. God, I will give up these houses. That house, I'll give that one up. I want that house, believe me. Like, that's an awesome house. I will give that house up. I will give these cars up. I will give up the status of having the right zip code on my address. I will give that up if I know that I know that I know that I'm in your will for my life and that I'm fulfilling the purpose that you've called me to. And I made a decision that day, and I said, I'm going to give it all up. And I went back, and we went through every step of the way, and that door closed. Then, about four years ago, the question comes to us and says, would you guys lead second place? And I'm at the crisis of belief again. And then God reminded me of the conversation, really the yelling match that I had with him in a car in Burr Ridge. And I said, yes, let's do this. You have to get to a point where Jesus is more important to you than money and than wealth. You will, you will destroy the things in life that matter most to you if you focus only on working and getting more and more money. I think if there was a big idea today, it would, uh, it would sound something like this. What are you going to do to fight and battle against the things that are trying to control you? What will you do to free yourself from the things that are trying to control you? And guys, I feel as though 
it's so important to think this through. And it's so, I, I, I can't make this stuff up. I can't tell you and show you this and say, look, I, I plotted this. This is week 10 of, I just had to think a second. This is week 10 of James. If you think that I'm thinking 10 weeks ahead, you guys are awesome and flattered. But here's what's awesome about this, is that for some reason you're here today, for some reason you've been a part of the James series, maybe just for today, for some reason this is the passage, for some reason we all know that we've done that in Monopoly, right? We all know that we've gloated, and it shines a light on some dark places in our soul that says maybe what we have is we have not so much a money issue. You see, I think a lot of times if you think about where you are now and where you want to be in 10 years, a big part of that gap is money. You're like, oh man, it's a money issue. If I just had all the money in the world, there's a whole, there's a whole TED talk about people who win the lottery and what they do, and basically they end up spending all the money and getting into debt. Yet the comments on articles about those people that went into debt and lost all the money are all comments like, you know what, if I had a million dollars, this is what I would do with it. Everyone thinks they're exempt. But the track record is that we just... If we, if we think about this, guys, we think about um, what are we going to do to free ourselves from the things that, can, that are trying to control us. And it doesn't really matter if you have a lot of money or if you have a little bit of money. Your perspective can be distorted. What do I mean by that? Well, we just spent like 20 minutes talking about the rich and the wealthy and how that can be a problem, right? We see that. We get that. But you realize that having a poor mentality can be a problem too? That, you know, you're always without. You, and I grew up like this. Like, all, never had anything, never had anything. It's always looking, you can always be looking for a handout. Instead of saying, you know what, this is where I'm at today. God's good telling a story through my life. And even though I have a little bit, even though I might be a widow, the widow's might still matters, right? So, um, I wanted to give you some action steps. It's all about orthopraxy. So let's get some action steps when it comes to this. Are you guys sufficiently uncomfortable? No? Okay, we'll, we'll get more uncomfortable. So here's the first thing that I would say. Um, I think there's a, there's a slide. You, yeah, sure, you can do that. Um, actually, go to the slide with all three on there. Um, oh, man, it's not, still not right. Okay, cool, we're good. So I want you to just, for the first one, I want you to take a step toward changing your perspective on money. Now, the action step is not right up there. What you should be thinking about is, what can you give as a family to the Thanksgiving offering? Now, why would I say that? Because some of you haven't even given a second place at all, and money has you like this. And maybe the Thanksgiving offering, maybe the Get After It project is the very first time you're going to give, and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to break it. I'm going to break it. Um, I was able to talk to uh, Matt and Julie Boomsma yesterday, and I want you to hear a little bit of what they might have to say about giving. Um, here's their video. It's so much easier to start giving a tithe when you have less. Because it's easier to give $25 on a $250 paycheck than it is to give you know, $750 on a $7,500 paycheck. Um, especially if that's where you want to start. So, um, yeah, and that's, that's just a principle. I, in a spiritual discipline, I kind of picked up and Julie and I started dating and, and marriage and just something we wanted to stay committed to. Um, and we definitely have received blessings and because of it, I don't want to say it's necessarily financial blessings, um, 
because I think sometimes God blesses you by taking things away um, because it gets you and makes you have to rely on him more. Um, I think a perfect example of that would be um, about five, almost six years ago when we were both unemployed. Um, I was able to find a, a small part-time job, but for the most part, we had very limited income, um, but felt convicted that we needed to still keep tithing, not only on my small income, but also tithing on the unemployment. Employment check. And, um, I mean, it was, it was a rough season. Um, I was pregnant with Annika and, um... Our needs were definitely always met. We always had food on the table. We always had, you know, money to cover the bills. Um, our wants very much not met. I mean, we we were cutting back in very significant ways. I mean, even going to the grocery store, it was looking at what are the actual things we need right now in order to make it through the week. What are the things that are wants in this cart? And having to make some tough decisions with that. And it was it was a hard time. And even when Matt um, did find another job, um, we we felt very much like God was asking me to be a stay-at-home mom. And, you know, that that was a hard transition too. Again, trusting God with, with our finances and trusting Him with, you know, continuing to tithe on the little bit that we did have, um, but watching how our needs are always met, our, our our bills never went unpaid. Um, we never had to touch our our savings through that entire time, which is is crazy. Um, so it's just one of those where we we've really realized like God does take care of us if we're willing to trust Him. In, in the big and the small things. Um, and so it's something we've even are working hard to instill in our kids when they get um, money or they earn money for doing different things around the house or have, helping grandpa and grandma, like the importance of giving back even, you know, at their young age <clears throat> to understand that all their blessings really do come from God. I, I would encourage you, um, if you're not tithing, if you're not financially supporting, you know, your church home and, and falling into that biblical mandate um, to to step out in faith. Um, one of my favorite movies is the movie Aladdin. And in there, there's a scene where Aladdin reaches his hand down to Jasmine when she's in the marketplace undercover. And he says, do you trust me? And she looked at him, and in a split second, she had to make a choice of whether or not she trusted him. And I feel like so often God is saying to us, do you trust me? And and we need to take his hand, and we need to trust him. And for some of us, and for some of you, it's in your finances. You need to trust him. And so I want to encourage you to take that step, to trust God with what he's given you, and trust him that he will truly take care of you. Well, I think the initial step is the intentional giving, and we always throw out the tithe, um, being there. The whole end of the year giving and giving above and beyond, love it, on board, excited about it, it's good, it's great, but I think you got to start with intentional giving. And if this is how you start, 
um, with an end of the year gift and then turn that into a regular dedicated disciplined tithe that's awesome and God's going to throw open the floodgates and again it's not necessarily financial floodgates financial here's a whole bunch of money from God because you gave 10% to me like I said I I believe through that we were blessed through God taking away a job a little bit um, and forced to trust him and really put our money where our, our faith is. Um, and we, uh, we realized what we needed and what we didn't need. And we realized that there's a lot more value in a simple life than one that's filled with stuff and things. Like we came into the world with nothing and we're going to leave the world with nothing. And we, we can't hoard it for ourselves because it's all, it's all his. So, you know, bring that slide up again, Faith. So, praying about what you might give. We often say this about giving at second place, and some of you are like, man, why did I have to come today? It's about money. Brutal. Here's what, here's what we say here, is that when it comes to giving, it's not about really something that second place wants from you. It's what we want for you. And what I want is you to be free. To be free from what the culture says is the good life. You see, a lot of times... Well, the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus and God set out a way of viewing the world and saying what's valuable in the world. And then we grow up and we have a different worldview on that. And when you become a Christian, when you put Jesus first, what you do is you put to death the way that you think the world should work according to your rule book. And you go along and say, God, I'm going to walk into and I'm going to accept the invitation into your kingdom and I'm going to start thinking this way. And you put to death, you hear what I'm saying? You put to death the way you used to think. When we baptize people, it's when we put them under the water, they put to death the old way of thinking. And when they come back out of the water, they're, in, they're, they're entering into that invitation with Christ. And here's what I'll tell you. You put it to death when you go under the water. And when you, you, you accept the invitation. And now I know why some of you don't want to get baptized. Because it, you know the stakes. It's putting to death the old way and the way that the culture says and the way that the world says you're going to be successful. You're putting that to death and you come out of that water and you're invited into this kingdom and you walk into that. There's a few other options for you guys when you get, look at giving in the Thanksgiving offering. But also, what if you did this? What if you entered into community somehow? What if you actually invited, that slide should come back up, Faith, that, with the three things on it, that you would invite someone who needs community to your Thanksgiving dinner. I don't know who that is for you, um, but maybe there's someone that you know that maybe isn't going to spend Thanksgiving with anyone this year. You've got some time to invite. And then lastly, man, begin to serve others. Begin to say, you know what, I'm going to give of my time and my talent at second place or somewhere else. It doesn't have to be here. But if you're not serving, you're not tapping into everything that God has for you. And so those are some awesome, I hope, awesome um, action steps for you. And as we go to worship, why don't we stand? Um, and these songs are so, so key because what they allow us to do is to pray through music and to ask God and to tell God exactly where our hearts are at. So some of these words, you might need to hold off on singing for a minute 
You might need to find a quiet spot in the warehouse somewhere. You might need to just, um, the chairs move, you can, you can scoot out, you can be free to roam and to find a spot, but you may need to just really focus on what we're singing because what it's doing is it's starting to orientate yourself and to break that distortion that we have in our head. And man, when God breaks it, man, it's awesome. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, God, for what you're doing in our, in our lives. God, we are so challenged, Lord God, today. In one of the richest, if not the richest country, Lord, in the world where we have what we need. Lord, we have multiple, we have closets full of clothes. We have multiple cars, some of us. And, and God, sometimes we say it's just not enough. We just need a little bit more. God, could we, could we be changed today? through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray as we sing, Lord God, that your presence would be here, that would correct the distortions that are in our heads. Lord God, that we would see ourselves in light of you. Lord, that we would accept the invitation into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. So at the end of the video, uh, he reveals the fact that the disposition that people have based on their wealth is not something that is locked in in concrete. It's actually something that can be changed. And he says this, and he says it's actually two things that cause you to change your, your attitude towards money and what you have, and that is two things. Number one, touches of compassion and brushing up and into empathy. Compassion and empathy. See, a lot of times we think that, um, I, I started this, so I didn't finish it, that between here and where we want to be is a money gap, but really what it is here and there with God is a heart gap. And the battle is raging in, an, in an, every single one of us. Quick, quick example. I was uh, in a uh, kind of a senior community and I was uh, taking some garbage out. And this is just a week ago Thursday. And I was walking out and this lady had her walker and she had in her basket, she had a gar uh, bag of garbage. And she was talking to a friend that was in the hallway. And she was lighting it up, man. She was swearing up. I mean, you ever hear an old lady swear? I mean, it's amazing. Like, she's swearing it up. And she's just mad about Medicare or something like that, right? And, and so I've got garbage. She's got garbage. It's probably another 30 feet to where the garbage gets dumped. And she didn't really see me until she looked up. And I, and I heard all of that. And I smiled at her and I said, are you, are you throwing, gonna throw, does that go to the garbage? She says, yeah. I said, well, let me take that for you, and I'll, I'll take care of it for you. And she says, after swearing up a storm for, like, the whole hallway, she's like, well, thank you. And I said, well, have a great day. And she's like, you have a great day, too. And here's what I want to show you, is that compassion and empathy are weapons that fight the battle. And she was in the sourest of moods. But I didn't, I mean, I'd love to say a letter to the Lord right there, but I didn't. All I did was I gave her a little bit of compassion. I had some empathy and it, it fought that in her. It, it diluted it. It made it go away. And what we don't understand is that's why we gather. We gather because the world is, is, is discipling us every day and we need to be reminded. We need to brush up against compassion and have empathy be awakened in us so that we can then battle when we leave here because you're gonna change someone's trajectory of their day simply by taking the, the garbage out. And one day you may lead that person to the Lord. And so, uh, and so as we go today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the one that we lean into, Lord God. We want, Jesus, your kingdom, the rumors of your kingdom to flood the earth. 
Lord God, we want, Lord God, your kingdom to flood the earth. The, the worth of your name, Lord God, to flood the earth. And Lord God, as we live it out, as we take action with our faith, Lord God, I know that it's happening. I know that, God, you're going to meet us there. Lord, help us in this raging battle inside of us. Lord, help us to talk about what it means for us to let loose and to live open-handed. God, we thank you, Lord, for everything. Lord, I pray specifically right now for our Alpha group that's um, two hours away, Lord God, that has been learning and, and praying and, and connecting about the Holy Spirit, Lord, and learning about that. I pray, God, that their time as they conclude this afternoon would be powerful, Lord God. We thank you for those that have committed to that. And Lord God, that you're moving in them as you're moving in us. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing. Help us to be light in dark places this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you guys next week.